Greetings everybody, it's a great blessing for me to come to you today and to just bring you the gospel of God's grace. Today I'm going to be teaching from Romans chapter 9 and we're going to talk about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and what Paul tried to communicate, communicate in Romans chapter 9, what that was all about. So many times we read that passage and we just feel that we are uh, just looking at a God that is not just. A God that is not loving because one day he just decides to uh, supernaturally cause people to be hardened to not believe in him. And that is what the scripture seemingly says, that God just hardens the heart of Pharaoh. And we're going to look at that in Romans chapter 9, what Paul is saying. But before I get into that, I would like to pray and then we're going to just go to a passage in Philippians 6 that I preached about Two weeks ago and um, I'm going to just go through that again and just encourage people first let us pray together father thank you so much that we can be here together thank you for your love and your kindness and your grace thank you that you care for us thank you that your love is shed abroad in our hearts the message of your hope and thank you that we can know that you care for us in a great great way not just in a way that is measured by the shallowness of how things go in this world but that it is so great that it is greater than this life itself it is the extension of this life it's the resurrection and your life poured out into our hearts thank you that you encourage us and strengthen us every day and that we can have joy in the midst of whatever is going on in this world you are a good god that loves us. Now, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will powerfully speak through me today and encourage every person that is watching. Amen and amen. If you are slotting in here for the first time, I would like to welcome you. I want to just assure you that this message is going to be only about the goodness of God, the love of God, and the kindness of God that encourages people. And then for those of us that are regular viewers, thank you so much for slotting in again that I can serve you with the good news of Jesus. I've used a different way of streaming today. I've uh, uploaded the file onto YouTube and then premiered it at the specific time as what we normally have our services because, and I don't, I've done this because of the problems we have every Sunday with the internet being overloaded. So many churches broadcast at this time in, uh, in America and it just overloads the internet and then people from the other countries are not having the bandwidth they're supposed to have. I hear many people in America also struggles with this. So that's why we do it this way. I trust that it will still bless you and that it will give a feeling of a family watching this together at the same time for all of those that slot in uh, the moment it is uh, made available by YouTube. Well, I want to read from Philippians 4 verse 6. Uh, the reason why I'm going through this passage is because there are many people in this time that is struggling. Many people are going through a very difficult time because of the lockdowns in the different countries. Um, shortage start to settle in, people not having money, uh, people really suffering. Some people uh, that we know of here in South Africa not having food to eat, really going through very, very difficult times. And you might be facing that difficult time. You might be making your calculations and seeing that you're going to be there soon, not knowing what to do in these difficult times. So I want to encourage you by reading Ephesians 4, verse 
uh, 6, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. It says, Be careful for nothing. <clears throat> um, some translation says, Be anxious for nothing. I like the word careful there because it talks about taking care. And when you take care of something is when you take responsibility for its life. So what God is saying is, uh, he says, don't take the responsibility of making this lockdown end yours. Don't make it your responsibility uh, or your life, your own responsibility, wherein you must see that you live a long life. Who by being anxious and worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Who can grow three inches longer, uh, taller, you know, by just um, the simple act of worrying about it? Who can change the color of his hair? You know, we can normally dye it, but if you look at how it comes out of your Head, who can change that color? If you gray, who by worrying can make it not gray anymore? It is impossible. You cannot do it. You can maybe have more gray hair by worrying. And here, um, Paul comes and he says, take care of nothing. Who can become taller? Who can have uh, longer arms, longer legs? Who, who can have that by worrying? Nobody. You cannot. You cannot add one inch to your stature by worrying. And worrying is explained by the in the Greek message in the Greek understanding here as you trying to take care and making yourself the responsible one to make things work. You cannot do that. It says here, make your um, request known to God through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. In this time, it is, and yesterday somebody spoke to me about this, it's a time when we would maybe call somebody and say, can you pray with me? And we wonder, and this is something that I thought about before and I'm still thinking about it, is why would we call people to agree with us about something? How does that make sense? If we can talk to God ourselves, but there's just something inside us that make us want to, uh, speak to somebody about our situation. We want him to pray for us. I believe the reason why we do that is because we are family orientated beings. Whenever we go through difficult times, let's say um, you were in a motor car accident or you uh, scratched your car or the dog died or something like that happened, what are you going to do? You're going to call your family and you're going to tell them, you know what, this is what, was go what I'm going through and this is what's happening to me. And I believe for the very same reason, we speak to friends about our situation, what we are going through. And we want them to, uh, to know what we're going through and be in communication to God about that. It's just a family act. We find Paul saying that. He says, pray with me. I, he thanked people for praying for him. He even said in one place, pray that God would deliver us from wicked and unreasonable men. I also find that when uh, I am in a time where I'm very grateful, I would just say to my wife, let us just thank God for this beautiful thing that is in our lives. And we would sit together and thank God. And I find that there's a unity in that thanking of God where we do that together. Or on the other side, we can also go and say, 
um, when we're in a difficult time, and Elena and I not long ago did the same thing where we, you know, there are some people in this world that just want to make life very difficult for you. We just had somebody that wants to just put our ministry through a very difficult time. And um, Elena and I, we just went and we said, let us pray about this. And I sat together with her and we prayed about it. And the beauty about this thing and how it works, the dynamics of prayer together, is that as I was speaking to God about it and she was speaking to God about it, and I heard what she was saying to God, and in my mind I was thinking and pondering, the Lord spoke to me. And what he basically said to me is, Bertie, um, if I cannot, I mean, I gave you this ministry to minister to people, and if I cannot keep it, uh, you know, and keep it safe, how can you ever do that? If I can't do it, how will you? You see, the thing is, the moment you hear about something that is not good, you want to take care of it. Where God says, don't take care of it, meaning don't make it your responsibility to be the provider of safety and life for that specific thing. And the greatest thing that he's mentioning, if, especially if you go to the cross-reference in uh, Matthew 6, He's talking about your very own life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. He says, don't take care of these things, for God takes care of you. God cares for you. Now, some might say, but should I just be irresponsible and not do anything? No, let God take the care on him, the responsibility on him to make things work. And then as he does that, he will work things in your heart to do, and you just follow after that. And that is quite simple. So the point that I want to make is, in these times, uh, go to husbands and wives, pray together, speak to God about this. Uh, do some practical things as pertaining to this, wherein you are just speaking to God. In my family, I don't make a massive thing out of that, of hours and hours. We just keep it short and simple. We pray about that, encourage one another uh, uh, in, in that time as we are talking about the greatness of God. There's a uh, mutual encouragement. And then later on in the weeks to come, we would talk about what God has done in our hearts while we were speaking to God. And that is just how it is. Most of the time when Eliana and I pray about something, it lasts 10 minutes maybe, you know, 10, 15 minutes max. And we we get encouraged and we continue with our life. Just short and simple. Glory to God. It's not some magical thing we try to do to work ourselves up. It's a communication that we have with, together with a real and a true God. And I want to encourage you in your families, get the family together and pray about things. You know, talk to God about things and let everybody partake in that if that is what you feel to do. That is what Elena and I practically do when we as a family want to thank God for something we all come together and we thank God we want to pray about something that's a family matter we all come together and we talk to God about it and each one gets his opportunity to speak um, and we agree together and that is very encouraging I would like to encourage you to do that and to know that God is the one that carries the responsibility to bring forth life in these times I quickly want to go to Matthew 6 and encourage you from that passage. It says, um, it says, be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious. This is Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. That taking thought for your life is basically the word anxious. Uh, or to take care. 
when you take a thought is basically um, when you it's not when a thought comes to your mind it's basically when you are saying how can I fulfill the responsibility to make this thing work it's like in ministry if you're a preacher now I mean a lot of you must be going through terrible times especially those who have the whole setup of a church with uh, 100, 200, 500 people gathering on a Sunday and everything, the whole dynamic of your fellowship was around that. And now in these times, those people are starting to listen to other people online and um, the giving is down and everything is in a mess. You don't know what's going on. Now, uh, when it says here, take no thought for your life, that would basically be, you don't have to take responsibility to make this work. The way I would reason is this way. Uh, well, if that is what we have done up to now, and we've gathered like that, and that has now come to an end, thank you, God, that I could be part of that, and that I could encourage people that way. My heart, and this is my, my, what my prayer would be, practically. Uh, my desire is, and should that be the desire, that I would, I would love to continue to minister to people, because that is what, what's burning in my heart. And I thank you, Father, that I can just say, uh, I allow you to bring that forth in my life. Amen. And that would be it. Uh, if you have a desire in your heart for something, it is actually just God asking you, is it okay if I bring it forth? And then you just yield to that. Or just basically say, God, it is okay. And then the scripture says in Psalm 37, you sit back and you rest. And he brings it forth. Uh, one thing I've also seen is, and that the Lord has spoken to me as some practical encouragement is, the way I got to where I am is by simply resting in the finished work of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, uh, to rest in the hope of the gospel and him bringing forth his fruit in my life. And now when there's a lockdown and when things don't work out the way we think it should work out, why are we going to now jump through 10 hoops to try and make something work that would be a sign of you taking thought of or being anxious or you saying well uh, i'm taking the responsibility to make this thing work because i think god cannot and god will still make it work it says behold the fowls of the air for they sow not neither do they reap nor do they gather into barns it said you can say god um, i i'm not sowing and reaping now i'm not working i'm not doing something like that i'm at home uh, I lost my job, whatever. He says, look at the birds of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, they not much are you not much better than they? You are of greater value than, um, than the birds of the air, and God will take care of you. You know, Elena and I, we were sitting and we were praying about what is going on because we look at the massive... Um, poverty that's breaking out in South Africa you know South Africa we live in a third world country uh, it is the government can make a lot of promises and try to keep it but we don't simply just don't have the infrastructure to get things to the people uh, fast enough and I was looking at all of this and how many thousands of people will will according to my mind if you just look at the stats gonna be without food really great hunger and everything and I was praying about that and then the Lord and I was just saying, well, I, I want to see what I can do. And I felt the Lord say to me, Bertie, don't take responsibility to care for all the people. I will work in your heart. 
on what you need to do. But I am the father of all the people in the country. And the promise that they can look to the birds of the air that doesn't sow or reap or gather into bonds, um, for I am their heavenly father that feeds them. I will also feed them. You cannot become their father. I am their father. It's not your responsibility to see that the whole of South Africa is fed. It is my responsibility. And I will put in your heart what you can do. And Eliana and I, we've just uh, felt in our heart, we're going to just take two or three families and care for them. You know, make sure they've got uh, their rent money and food and everything for this whole lockdown time. And that is what we can do. And we will encourage other people that do have finances that can do that to do that. And I want to tell you, if, if we that do have in this time find God bringing forth this inner heart and we can do it, even if it's just for one family, if we that do have in this time by the power of the Holy Spirit can care for one or two families, um, I tell you, we'll get more done than what the government can ever do and much quicker and there would not be corruption involved and there would be so many things not involved. It would just be something that is really simple and that would not be one man governed thing. It would simply be God giving life to people. So I want to encourage you, uh, look at the birds of the air. They sow not, neither they reap, neither they gather into bonds, yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. You know, in this time, there were some people that got really ill. They, it's the lockdown, it looks like they're losing their business, and then they got very ill. Some people in our web church, into the hospital, a critical situation, all those kind of things. And I find that um, those people still have the joy of God on account of looking at the good news of Jesus <clears throat> and God taking care of them. And that, if it's true for them, it's true for all of us. Let us not make it our responsibility to make things work. I want to end off with this, and then I'm going to get into the message in Romans chapter 9. When we look at um, Acts 14, I think it's from verse 17 onwards, Paul comes and he says that the people that were not believing in God, the Gentiles. God never left himself without a testimony in that he gave them rain and he gave them seasons and good crops and all those kind of things and their hearts were filled with joy and this was while they worshipped idols. So there's no five principles that we can do in order for God to take care of us. God cares for us. Let us simply just believe in that. That is all. And God cares for you. And you might say, but Bertie, there are poor people in the world. What if I become poor? What if I, you know, the, the scripture does say we will always have the poor with us. There will always be poor people. Yet the scripture also say, behold how rich in faith those that, that are poor is. So, what it means is, rich in faith talks about flooded with the message of the resurrection and the hope, the fruit of the Spirit, joy and comfort and all those kind of things. Second Corinthians clearly states that those who were poor were the greatest givers. They were flooded by the grace of God and they were givers. So meaning that they didn't lack in joy and contentment and life. It is just a lie to think that the abundance, that our life consists in the abundance of our possessions. 
the beautiful thing is, the moment we realize our life consists in God giving us life, we find a lot of these fears falling off. And I want to tell you this. The biggest thing is, what if this happened? What if that happened? I want to tell you, at the other side of the what if, God is already there. And he has provided for you. Jesus could have said, what if I die on the cross? What if I get buried? The father was already on the other side of the what if. And there's always resurrection and there's always life. Amen. I would like to just pray for everybody that uh, would like for me to pray for you now. And maybe you're going through a difficult time. I would just want to talk to God about you and your situation. Let's see what comes forth from this. Father, thank you so much that I can pray for people right now. There are people that are worried about their children. There are people taking care of uh, making it their responsibility to think of how they're going to make their businesses work, how they're going to get everything to work. I thank you, Father, that I can lift them up to you. I thank you that you give unto them a sound mind, a mind that understands the dimensions of your love, an understanding that can see how high, how wide, how deep and how long your unending, robust love is towards them. I thank you, Father, that you bring peace to their hearts through the Holy Spirit and that their minds are enlightened, knowing what is the hope of the calling, your riches towards them and the power that brings that forth. I thank you that would be the case for them. In Jesus' mighty name. Right there where you are, you can just say, you know, from the depth of your heart, as you feel this, you can even put this, hear what I'm going to say, pause this video, and just practically do it. And just say, say to the Father, speak your heart to the Father. Say, Father, I'm afraid. I've taken care. I've tried to take, take care of my situation. Because my mind was not so much on how you care for me. But thank you that you have shown in the resurrection that you took care of Jesus. Although everything looked like you weren't taking care of him, you were taking the best care of him. For where he is now, he can never die. He's above all temptation, living forever, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Just say that to God. See the resurrected Christ. See what the Father has done. And he is God's declaration over you. He is the apocalypse, the revealing of what God has in mind for you and how things will be in the end. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. You are my Father. You are the Father of Batty Brits, Helena Brits, my children. You're the Father of this ministry. You're the Father of my friends. And you're the one that gives life. Thank you that we can rest in that. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Well, thank you that I could encourage you. Uh, just, well, it took 23 minutes. I've got another. Let's put a 25 minutes into the message. Um, I want to just teach from Romans 9. Now, I have already preached up to about verse I think 14, but I'm going to just go quickly through that and explain what is going on in Romans 9. When it comes to Pharaoh, we think that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh for the purpose of showing his power. 
so here is like this egocentric God that goes to Pharaoh and he tells Pharaoh, let my people go. But Pharaoh is not going to let the people go because God has magically hardened his heart. And now he cannot let the people go. And now he's going to bring all these plagues onto Pharaoh to show his power so that uh, um, the children of Israel can have something to remember when they are in the desert going through difficult times to recall and that they can go through the difficult times. Now that sounds as if there's something a little bit wrong with God, but uh, sometimes we read that and we just, well, okay, let's go to Romans 10, uh, verse 9 and 10. If we believe when our heart confess with our mouth, we shall be saved. Hallelujah. For righteousness is not by the law, but by faith. Glory to God. And we still sit with Romans 9 in the back of our minds here, chewing back, uh, chewing on our conscience there and saying, but what does that mean? What does that mean? And I think today, uh, and I must say, I've, I've walked with this passage for a long time in my heart, and uh, the Lord has shown me never to throw any passages away, but it's like a puzzle. If you don't know where it fits, you don't throw it away. Just put it on the side. As you build the others, you'll find its place. And I think to a certain degree, uh, I found the place where this fits, and I'm going to share it with you. It's going to be a bit technical. It's going to be a bit theological. It's going to maybe be not easy. can be boring for some and very exciting for others. Now, let's get into it. <clears throat> I'm going to read from Romans 9 verse 1. It says, um, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, just want to say something here. Here we find Paul, as pertaining to the Jews, having continual sorrow. So that means that Paul didn't all the time, were, was full of smiles, all the time, everything going right. There was times when he just had continual sorrow for his kinsmen. That doesn't mean that he was sorrowful from morning until evening, never smiling. He talks about the Jews and his own kinsmen. And when he would think of them, there was something sorry about that in his heart. He was carrying sorrow. He says, these Israelites, to them pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ has come, who is over all God blessed forever. Not as though the word of God has not taken any effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Now, <clears throat> verse 6 is such a radical passage that I think you maybe just write it and send it and see what happens. Because if you would say that in public to the Jews, I tell you, you can be killed. Because what he's saying there is, I'm in continual sorrow for these, for my kinsmen. And if you go and read in chapter 10, he says basically, for they are not saved, for they are not using the righteousness of God, but they stand in front of God working up their own righteousness by the law. God has loved them. He has given everything to them. They were basically supposed to be a light unto the Gentiles, but they were not they misunderstood the whole thing and they all became self-centered. Uh, if we read on, and I'm just going to throw this in right now, uh, he starts to liken them to Egypt, where the Egyptians were supposed to be the people blessed by God uh, through Joseph for the purpose of providing grain also for Jacob and his children or for Israel. And then in the same way, they... Egypt was saved from the drought as well as many other people through Joseph. 
they came to a place where they started to uh, enslave the Gentiles. They, they, they saw themselves as bigger as the Gentiles. They saw themselves as the rulers over the Gentiles. Just as what the Pharaoh forgot about Joseph, forgot about how mercy is for everybody and not just them, not being a light unto the Gentiles, now enslaving these people, calling them dogs, calling them not good, and um, uh, seeing them basically as cursed. The very same thing that was happening to the Pharaoh. And he's starting with that. Paul is going to that direction. And what he's saying is basically that these Jews or the Israelites, they messed up. But that doesn't mean that what God has promised is not taking place. Because the actual truth is this. Not all that are of Israel are Israelites. By that he was saying that um, you are not an Israelite because you are a Jew. Now, even in today's day, and as I'm saying this, some people might think, Baptist, are you anti-Semitic? Are you anti the Jewish people? Are you anti? You must be careful, you know, this kind of a talk is Hitler talk. It's Nazi talk. You don't talk like that about the Jews because look at the harm that came through talk like that. Well, let me put it this way. I think there are people that will take these scriptures and they will abuse them. But if we look at these scriptures, doesn't matter how you look at it, this is what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul said that the Jews aren't saved because they are Jews. The Israelites is the right word. They are not the people of God. The Israelites, talking about the, 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 the people group, because they are Israelites, they are not the people of God. From amongst the Israelites, there will be people of God. But the nation is not God's people. They are not God's children as a nation. Now, you must say, Matt, you are crazy. Why are you saying these things? Like I said, today's teaching might be a little bit technical and, and we're just going verse by verse. And I'm going to, if you just stick it out, you're going to understand what's going on here. Let us read it. Not as though the word of God has not taken effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they children, but in Isaac shall your seed be called. So what is he saying? He says, because they are children of Abraham, that does not mean they're the children of God. So what he's actually saying is that the children of God is not the physical descendants of Abraham. The children of God is defined in a different way. And what he's saying here is that the seed are called in Isaac. What that means is Isaac was promised. God promised to Abraham a child and the promise was Isaac. That means that the, uh, to be a child of God is found in God's promise believed. Who are the children? Those who are children of the promise. Those who basically believe in the promise would be the children of God. That is, they which are children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but children of the promise are counted for the seed. That is verse 8. As I started out in verse 5, one might thought back to you are crazy, but if you read on, you say this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. And he is basically uh, starting out and he's starting to really hammer down on the Jews here and he is saying that these Jews are not the children of God. He says, my heart is for them for they think they are the children of God because they are of the physical descendants of Abraham but they are not for God does not count 
who his children is based on ethnicity or what people group you are of, but it is found in God showing mercy and those who want to receive it by mercy, for free. These are the children of God. These are those who have their lives born from God. Paul is setting this up and he's going on into chapter 10. But if you go into chapter 11, he's basically turning onto the Gentiles and saying to them the very same thing. Remember, don't think when you are, because you're now Gentiles, you're the special people of God. It doesn't, it's not about Jew or Gentile. It's about God that wants to show mercy. And those who believe that, they are then the recipients of this mercy. And by mercy, they are born and shaped into that which God has dreamt from the beginning. And so are they, the children of God. This knife cuts both ways. That means there will be some of God's people amongst the Jews and some of God's people amongst the Gentiles. These people of God is not defined by God supernaturally picking people. God has chosen a method and that method whosoever falls into that method are the people of God or not the people of God the method that God has chosen is it is going to be by mercy is going to be for free is going to be by God fulfilling his promise is not going to be by anything you do is going to be as a love gift that's how it's going to be and that's what God has chosen that is what God has chosen and those who believe that are born of that promise called the children of God. So Paul comes and he redefines how, um, uh, 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 what do you call it? I don't know what that is calling, what, what that's called in English now. I just, uh, I forgot about that. Genealogy, that's it. He's redefining genealogy, how you say you're a descendant of Abraham and he's basically saying it is through faith you can go and read this also in Galatians chapter 3 right let's go on um, he goes on and he says that Isaac it was by promise but it didn't stop at Isaac and from Isaac now it's physical descendants he says it even goes on with Rebecca when she had two sons you know um, Jacob and Esau that while they were in the womb before they've done anything good or bad God has said that the elder will serve the younger so that it would not be by anything you do but by God who chooses. By God who chooses. That's it. So God has chosen that those who rely upon him they will receive mercy. God has chosen that it will be by mercy and not by works. So if people decide that it's not by mercy, but by my works, they have immediately excluded them from having it by mercy. And that is what he is basically just saying there. In verse 16 it says, So then it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. So what has God chosen? God has chosen that the only way wherein we can have eternal life or the fruit of the Spirit, is by God that shows mercy. That is what he has chosen. God has chosen that it will be by him that shows mercy. We can go to passages like um, Exodus 33, 19, Exodus 34, 7, and we can see what God has said to Moses back then. He showed to Moses, he said, Moses, I'll show you my glory. 
this is who I am. But this glory that I show you, this I'm gracious, compassionate, uh, I am a, a merciful, long-suffering, abundance and goodness and truth. Remember that this is for whosoever I decide to be merciful to. It is not just for you, Moses. I keep this mercy for thousands. It's for Jew, Gentile, for anybody, whosoever wants to come, whosoever is thirsty and wants to come and drink it is for them never make this your own thing always know that this mercy is for everybody moses then made haste in verse 8 and said come and live amongst us a stiff-necked people and what god said to him what god did was he came and put up tabernacle with them but he still didn't change his mind he never thought that he's now only going to be merciful to the Jews he basically said I'll be merciful to the Jews I'll come and live amongst them but the purpose is that these Jews would then be a light unto the Gentiles in them I'll make my power known and so enlighten the whole world but what did the Jews do they took the whole gospel for themselves they didn't share it with others, neither did they understand the gospel. They simply said it's going to be by our flesh and our doing. And now he comes in verse 17 and he's now likening the Pharaoh with Israel. He says, for the scripture says unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised you up, that I may show my power in you and that my name might be declared throughout the earth therefore he has mercy in whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardens now that's you might say back you see right there is that god just decided to harden people you will say then unto me why does god yet find fault for who has resisted his will no o man who are you to reply against god Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, Why have you made me thus? Or not, uh, has not the potter power over the clay of some lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? I translate, paraphrase that verse this way. Does not God have the power to have mercy on um, mercy, um, even if some will reject it? So God, out of one lump, mankind, he made people, of honor and dishonor how by deciding it's only going to be by mercy so if god decides it's going to be by mercy and some rejects that and they are now vessels of dishonor and god in such a way formed vessels of dishonor by choosing a method whereby things are going to happen is that unrighteous for god if i say listen if I've got three boys, if I say, listen, I'm going to, the only way that you guys are going to have uh, vehicles is by me buying it for you freely. That's the only way you can get it from me. And if some of them say, no, I will not receive anything for free from you, and I am now displeased with him, is that, am I in the fault because I have chosen that it is by mercy and mercy alone? And now since they don't accept that indirectly i have formed a people group that is now against me and if i now continue to say it's by mercy and show my life and my power by that am i now wrong that is what he's basically saying there so we find that god has decided that it's going to be by mercy and that he will show mercy to whosoever he wants to show mercy he's going to say it's going to be to every people group and if you are not 
for that, you will be hardened. And let me explain the hardening of the heart there. The hardening of the heart uh, need to be explained inside the original understanding when it comes to Pharaoh. What would Pharaoh's people have understood under the hardening of the heart? We find this recorded in Exodus in several places. Uh, from Exodus 1, 4, and so forth, I think 7, 14, Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God. How did this take place? What did they understand when this was written? Let's say Moses written Exodus, wrote Exodus. The people at the time whom he wrote this unto, what would they have understood under the hardening of the heart? Now, um, I believe that this points to an old Egyptian ritual that took place in the burial of important people. What was believed, uh, and let me say this, um, this is basically taken from a book called the Book of the Dead, uh, which is the Papyrus of Ani. Now, Ani was a scribe of that time, and when he died, uh, or before he died, he had people, according to certain rituals and certain beliefs, had a scroll written, which was then placed in his coffin which would help him in the afterlife to answer certain questions when he would be judged and when he's, he would, his heart would be weighed on a scale to see if he qualifies for eternal life. It would help him in that so that he can enter eternal life. Um, now what the, what the people of that time believed, they believed that when you die after you've been mummified, your, you would leave your body and then you'd go into what was called the Ma'at, which was the court or the judgment room of two truths. What would happen, and this is what they believe, that you would appear before 42 judges. You would have to call their names and where they're from, and they would ask you questions. Every judge had one question. Uh, some of the questions would be, have you ever murdered anybody? Have you committed, uh, have you ever lied? Have you, um, have you stolen any money? Have you, uh, basically lusted of an, of an, after another man's wife? Have you slept with women that you're not supposed to sleep with? Have you laid with a man? Have you, there were so many questions, 42 questions that was asked there. And all the Egyptians knew that you cannot answer no to everyone. But what this part of this judgment hall was called was the hall of negative confession, wherein you just say no, you just straight out lie. You just say, no, I've never done any of these bad things. But you couldn't get by with that because these Egyptians also believed that the heart couldn't lie. Uh, the heart was then basically, um, after you passed through these 42 uh, judges, then um, Anubis, which was an Egyptian god, would lead you by the hand to the scales where your heart would be weighed. On the one side of the scale would be put in uh, one goddess, a female god's, uh, a feather from her, her cap, and she, well, she would put this white feather in the one side of the scale, which was called the feather of truth, and then your heart was taken from, your, from the corpse. Then they believed physically taken by the gods, and then put on the other side of the scale. And then your heart, which cannot lie, will now testify against what you've said to these 42 gods. Um, and your heart, if you've, your heart, if 
if you've sinned, would become heavier and heavier and heavier, and then show that you have lied. That would then, uh, they, if your heart was heavier than this feather, the heart would be given to a monster called Amit, and he would then eat your heart, and you would then die a second time, and then you would be in oblivion, just into nothingness and completely dead and have no afterlife. That would also be called the second death. Now, um, you must say, Bertie, what has this got to do with, with what you're talking about? Now, we need to understand that when you talk about um, a hardening of the heart, it would be talking about your heart becoming heavier, you becoming guilty, you coming to a place where your heart has to confess that I am a sinner. And your heart basically condemning you, wherein you're actually saying there's no life in me and in my own ability and that I am in the wrong and the end of what I'm doing is destruction and death. It is simply to say you are in the wrong. So uh, when, when God would harden Pharaoh's heart, it would not, as we would see it, just make him stubborn. It would be to say, to bring him to a point where he can say, I'm guilty, I am wrong. What these people also did, and this is very interesting and will help us understand Ezekiel 36, they would then have an amulet, which is a stone uh, that would be engraved with, uh, with uh, what was called a, a chant or a spell that was in the form of a beetle or a heart. And they would take this and put it in the coffin when this person was buried and sometimes the heart the physical heart was taken out and then that heart of stone was put in there and then when they come and take this heart of stone which was already heavy because there was a spell on it it would not tell on the person and then be light in the scale and then allow the person to have eternal life. So it was basically a spell from man's power because they know I cannot do it by myself. Uh, they would have the spell to kind of trick the system to get people into eternal life. And I think that helps a lot in understanding when God says, I will take the heart of stone out of the midst of you and give you a heart of flesh and cause you to walk in my ways. You know, we believe that we cannot walk in the ways of God. People, all people know that you cannot walk in the ways perfectly. Now we've got this heart of stone, which was this heart of spells where we just try and justify ourselves. Self-justification, that's what it's called. God is saying, I will take that out and I'll give you a heart of flesh, but I'll make it my responsibility to bring who and what I am forth in your life, so making it God's responsibility to give us eternal life. Now, my understanding, I have not heard somebody preach this, but this is my understanding. If God comes to Pharaoh and hardens his heart, he simply comes to Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh, listen, you cannot uh, fool me, and you'll have to come to a place where you'll have to confess that you are in the wrong. You are oppressing my people. These people are not your people. They're actually my people. And I want you to let them go. And as he is telling Pharaoh, you are in the wrong, what Pharaoh then does is he refuses to uh, accept that and humble himself 
to the truth and he continues in his way and he's basically having the standoff with God and he's saying I'm not going to do that and I'm keeping these people I am God you must remember the Pharaoh also believed that he was the incarnation of Ra and it was also the incarnation of the God of life which was proven to be wrong with the darkness that came over Egypt as well as the death of the firstborn so what Paul is saying here and if you read on he comes and he, say, he says that Israel is now taking the place of Egypt and what God is coming to do he says to Israel you are wrong when did that take place when Jesus came and walked on the earth in the three years that he walked on the earth the prophetic words before the time but true manifestation of that when he walked in the earth he walked in this earth and he did many mighty miracles and they still didn't believe him we can find that clearly um, in Luke chapter 12 I, I just want to make sure about that passage um, yeah, Luke 12 verse 39 to 40 as well as Matthew 13 verse 14 to 15 he comes and he says I, um, I've basically hardened these people's hearts I was telling them that they are in the wrong but they then close their eyes to what I tell them they refuse to listen to me and yet while they are refusing to listen to me I show my wrath which meant that God showed that I am not going to accept their way I'm going to stick with a way of mercy and he did many mighty miracles while he walked on the earth for three years and then in his death as what we found the Passover lamb that was slain death passed over those who believe upon him and he gives eternal life leading people out giving us the hope of eternal life and in doing that in his death and in his resurrection he left the old uh, um, Jewish system dead forever it's like Pharaoh and his army they are now gone Paul is taking the time when Jesus walked on the earth the uh, Israelites rejecting Jesus not willing to believe in him he takes the hardening of the heart narrative which was in the time of Israel back then and he is saying these people I rebuke them I tell the Jews they are wrong we find that in Matthew 23 we find that in the cleansing of the temple we find it in the story of Matthew Matthew 4 onwards John the Baptist Luke is telling them he says listen what I'm telling you is and he uses these baptism being baptized with the baptism of John wherein John taught don't think you are the children of God because you are of the descendants of Abraham God can of these stones raise up children unto Abraham you know that is what he is saying it is not about physical descent the axis at the root is chopping out this family tree which you guys thought was of physical descent he's chopping it out <clears throat> Jesus went and he healed the Seraphonician woman's daughter he uh, the, the centurion's servant he healed he spoke to a woman at the well that was not a pure Jew he said that I've got a flock of which you know nothing of he comes and he says that I am the Messiah of the whole world. He basically comes and says that I am not the Messiah of the Jew in the sense that I will deliver you from Rome. He says I am also the Messiah of the Romans. And the enemy is sin and death and I've come to let sin and death captive and deliver people from sin and death. They heard this. 
but they didn't want to be saved by him. For they were hungry for power, just like Pharaoh was. The Bible says, if you go and read this in Revelation 11, verse 8 and 9 onwards, it says that uh, Babylon, or the great city where the prophet's bodies was lying in the streets, spiritually interpreted, is Sodom, is Egypt, where our Lord Jesus was crucified, which is Jerusalem. So can you see that John even says that in Revelation Paul was saying that now here in Matthew and the hardening of the heart was basically saying I am telling you Israel that you are not the people of God by your own works. I am a merciful God and I've come to show mercy and since God has decided to be mercy on any person whosoever stands opposite to mercy and confines um, himself in the, the confines of works God will then come and harden your heart and actually say, you are guilty, you are wrong, you are not in the way of life, eternal life, the feather, you know, you, the whole scale thing, you will not be allowed into eternal life, you are in the wrong. And he comes and declares a person as wrong, they have to come to a confession of wrong. And then we find the Jews didn't want to do that. Let us go to uh, Matthew, uh, John 12. John 12, verse uh, 39. You know, I just, uh, I wanted to preach through this Romans 9 long ago, but I just felt that I, I need to get everything ordered and preach it in a, in a right way, in a correct way. Uh, I apologize if we go a little bit over the time today. But I want to preach this in the right way and um, that people can understand that. And it was like a little bit of a mountain in front of me. And I've said this the first time I preached about this. Um, but we have to get through Romans chapter 9 that we can go into Romans chapter 10, which continues along the same lines. But there's some much more positive things in Romans chapter 10. But we have to see what Paul said here and, and come to an understanding of this. Okay, Romans, uh, oh, John 12, verse 39. Now listen to this, this is going to sound very negative and then we're going to look at Jesus explaining this in Matthew 13 and that's how we're going to end off with this. Therefore they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. Now this sounds as if God hardened their hearts physically made them stubborn, blinded their eyes that they could not see. The first thing is he blinds their eyes so that they cannot see. And that's now, and then makes them stubborn in their hearts for the purpose of them not to see. And then he makes them in their minds not to understand because he does not want them to, convert, to be converted and he doesn't want to save them. Now, um, to one degree we can understand that and maybe next time I will explain that and, and that is basically God saying I shall not bring salvation through the system that you have chosen okay these things said Elijah when he saw his glory and spoke of him now let us go to the cross reference of that in Matthew 13 and we're just going to see what Jesus says about this and how he explains this Jesus says, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, by hearing you shall hear, 
Of by hearing you shall hear and you shall not understand, and by seeing you will see and you shall not perceive. For this people's heart gross wax uh, uh, is waxed gross in their ears, and the ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their hearts and should be converted and I should heal them. So here we find Jesus interpreting that passage as... I've come to preach to them. Then they heard what I said, but they didn't want to attend to what I'm saying, meaning they understand. They understand what I'm saying, but they don't want to hear what I'm saying. Um, it would be like in the old apartheid. You could go and say to people that were really racist and say to them, listen, you know what? South Africa, as you see it now, is going to come to a fall. A black president is going to take over and they're going to run the country. They would hear what you say, but they would decide that I'm not going to listen to this for I don't want this to be true, for I want my own way. And this is what Jesus is saying here in verse 14. Listen to how Jesus interprets this passage and interprets this passage as he is speaking the truth unto them, which is basically contrary to what they want to believe, and now they close their eyes. They make their hearts in not sensitive and blunt to what God wants to say through Jesus. And they close their ears for they don't want to be saved by him. Hear this. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. This is now, um, man, I, uh, I have not, let me quickly use some time. This is lockdown. We've got a lot of time. Let me share the screen with you here. Um, let me see too. I don't know why it doesn't want to share. Um, maybe next time. Okay, let us. Okay, now I'm, I'm doing the wrong one here. This must be, sorry for this, but let me just share this with you. It doesn't, it just wants to share the, 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 the screen where I'm having the camera on. It doesn't want to share the other screen. Sorry about that. But it is Jesus. It's written in red. This is Jesus' words. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. So you will hear, but you will not understand. And in seeing, you will see, and you will not under, you will not perceive. For this people's hearts is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Who closed their eyes? They have closed. Lest at any time they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them. What they were saying is, this guy is a carpenter's son. He's from Bethlehem. Can anything good come from there? You know, he was born in Bethlehem. Can any be go anything good come from Naz uh, uh, Nazareth? No, 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 he's not going to be. Do you want to say this guy doesn't have a big army? He's got these 12 people. He's got no army, no political influence. Do you want to say that he is our savior? We refuse to be saved by such a one. Yes, but I am your savior. We refuse to hear that. And they hardened their own hearts by closing their ears. They heard, but didn't want to be saved by such a person. 
And that is what took place there. How did it happen? Jesus went and he corrected the Jews in the hardening of the heart, in the light of the old Egyptian way of thinking, which I don't think was spoken of by Jesus here in Matthew, but was what Paul spoke about in Romans, likening them to the Pharaoh. He is telling them, you are not as innocent as what you think. You, Israel, is as much part of the problem as what the Gentiles are, and you need mercy. It's going to be by mercy, not necessity ethnicity it's going to be mercy not by physical descent and they couldn't handle that it was too much for them i hope that that it, it is helping you with this in mind i mean you can preach four hours on this passage here but let us just go to the end here there are many verses where he just says this he says uh, Isaiah says, I will call them a people which are not my people, and beloved which are not beloved. He's saying this, that Isaiah already said these things. Then he's got four or five verses which he confirms that through Isaiah. And then it says, what shall we then say today? That the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness has not attained of the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought it not by faith. They didn't seek mercy. They didn't seek God fulfilling a promise. They didn't seek it by God fulfilling his promise. They sought it by, I qualify because I am a Jew. But as it was, were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it's written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. So what he's saying is that the message of Jesus is a message that anybody can stumble over that does not want it for free as a gift. And let us not stumble over the stumbling stone. So Jesus called the message of salvation on the one side. He's called the message of grace. He's called the love of God. He's called the Messiah. And he's equally called a stone of stumbling. Because out of humanity, you'll find when God say, it is only by mercy, some will say it is not. And the very same way, two groups are formed now. And he's saying to the Jews, now that you find out that you are of the group who was actually showing forth the wrath of God, you're not the group that shows forth the mercy. You're the group that, that, that is, was actually unto dishonor. See it for what it is and see what God is trying to show through you and how he's been merciful with you all these times. And from you, come out now from amongst them. Come out from this. And he's, this is actually a call of repentance to the Jews as well. And for the Gentiles. So that these people that are stubborn, like Paul says, I wish that my fellow men would be saved. And then if he goes on to chapter 11, he would say, has God casted away his people? No, not at all. For I am a Jew. I've believed. I was hardened. I didn't want to hear about a Messiah. But then I saw and thank God that I could repent and believe upon the truth and also be saved. So chapter 9 is simply saying to the Jews, listen, these Jewish people were as much part of the problem as what the Gentile people were. And that God has come to harden the heart or to say, you are also guilty. 
we understand that it is not God supernaturally make, causing people not to believe. It is, should you not want it by grace, you will not even want to listen to that. I find in the old South Africa, when Nelson Mandela and them wanted to speak to certain of the leaders, they would just say, we don't want to speak to you. Why? Because we don't want to hear what you've got to say. Because what did they want to say? They said, let the people go. And they didn't want to. The Jews, God is telling them, let this whole thing of you being a special nation and it's all about you, let it go. Because in that you are keeping other people out. Let it go. And then they don't want to hear it. And that is God then declaring that they are standing guilty before the mercy, the act of mercy. And that they should repent of what they believe. Now, there's a lot that I've said here, and I'm sure preaching this four or five times will bring it to a point where we can more eloquently and more simplistically explain this. But I'm sure that this has helped you understand a little bit more of Romans chapter 9. So uh, we will continue into Romans chapter 10 and talk more about the Jews then and also how the salvation plan all fits together. I want to thank you that you have slotted in and that I could serve you with this message today. I trust that this will be food for thought and that it can bring you to a place where you can always see God is not evil, God is only good. It is evil not to believe that God is only good. Let us not harden our hearts to the system that says it is only by mercy. It is only by God showing grace. It's by God giving it as a gift. It's only by God fulfilling a promise and nothing that we do. Let us believe that. Should we not believe that when we hear and should we not be open for a message of mercy when we hear mercy preached, we will find that we are closing our own eyes to that. We will not want to listen to that anymore. And we will find our hearts just heavy. And we will find that we are not in the way of life anymore. So let us open our hearts to the goodness that God has brought for us in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that I can just worship you the God of all mercy, the God of all kindness. Thank you for your love and your great encouragement that you have towards us in the fact that you raised Jesus from the dead, fulfilling your promise. We believe you, Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you that you've watched and then we will speak again in this week as I share good news on Facebook and YouTube. God bless.